Okay, so our first person up is Evan. Evan, Evan is a student up at the university. He's been here, this is your second year with us, isn't it, Em? So he's going to share what God has put on his heart. And we've not given many uh, subjects or topics at all. They're just really preaching what they believe that God has laid on their heart. So over to you, Evan. Uh, as Rachel said, I'm Evan. I'm a second year at the uni. And um, uh, when they first asked me uh, if I'd wanted to do this, I had literally no idea what I was going to talk on. But uh, uh, it actually came. I was, um, uh, I'm doing a, a Bible in the Year uh, study with my girlfriend at the moment. And um, uh, I realized uh, a few times there are, uh, in the epistles, um, there are times when they, uh, Paul and the other writers, talk about uh, running the race. So I've uh, thought I'd uh, speak about that and I've split it into three parts. So the first part is to run. So 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, uh, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to win the prize, as to get the prize, sorry. Um, so what's this prize that Paul is writing about here? Uh, the prize is God's goodness. So um, we should always be pursuing God with the uh, passion and intent, that thought of running the race as, as if to win the prize. Um, so, uh, uh, as, a, as a pretty competitive person myself, uh, uh, I'm, I'm always wanting to win games and uh, sometimes not my strength. But, uh, yeah, it's that same intent and passion that we want when, uh, when we're seeking God. Um, so, the second point is to stay on course. So, Hebrews, um, Hebrews 11 uh, talks uh, about some great examples of faith in the Old Testament. And then the, uh, in Hebrews 12:1 it says, uh, "Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us." Uh, so uh, it's important to run the race that's marked out for us, that's uh, following God, uh, God's way and not our own. Um, so how do we do that? Uh, verse two says, "Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith." So it's uh, that, uh, that thought of uh, running the race marked out for us by doing what's, what's God's will and not our own. And we do that by following Jesus and uh, not looking to our own strength. Uh, and then the third point, third and final point, is to do not trip. Uh, the Galatians were being tripped up by uh, the thoughts of the world and other people saying, uh, being told that uh, God's grace was, wasn't enough, that they still had to... Uh, rely on works to get to heaven. Uh, verse 4 says, uh, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. God's, uh, you have fallen away from grace. Uh, God's grace is enough for us. There's nothing we can do by our own strength uh, to get to heaven. Uh, and Jesus did, uh, did it for us. Um, Galatians 5 7, it says, uh, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying that truth? Uh, so, uh, again, it's that uh, basically, uh, yeah, we're, we're to stay on course, not to be tripped up by what the world is telling us. Um, so, yeah, um, just some, uh, as a summary, uh, as we go into this week, can we be thinking about how we can 
uh, run the race marked out for us following God's way and not our own. And uh, not being tripped up in a way uh, that is uh, uh, of a worldly nature and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So. Thanks, Evan. very nerve-wracking up here I can tell you <laughs> well done well done what I love about the Bible you know is that we can read it for ourselves and get something out God gives us each revelation and um, actually when you were speaking there Evan and you said um, about um, running the race that God's marked out for us um, and isn't it funny that sometimes we want to run other people's races but when we listen to God and we can, we can just work out, what is, the, what is the race that you've got for me, God, as my individual race? It might not look the same as Evan's or as Chris's. But I just need to focus on the, the race that God has set before me to run. And I think if we can listen to God and go, okay, okay God, that might look different for someone else. But for me, the race you've set me, I'm going to follow. So thanks, Evan. That, that's really great. Okay, right. Now our next uh, lovely lady coming up is um, Claire. Claire, would you like to join me? So Claire can speak for herself. So I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell us a bit about herself. Thank you. Hi. For those of you who don't know us, Simon and I, the family, have well, the children have grown up here at Riverside. We've been here about 20 years, so Evan's been here about a year, just over. Um, our third speaker, I won't give away who it is, but has only been here a few months, clues. Um, and we've been here about 20 years. <laughs> um, so I want to talk to you this morning about Martha, my Bible hero. I was, um, and I know some of you do, reading um, Lectio 365 about a month ago, and I finally read someone who was sticking up for Martha. Um, she's mentioned three times in the Bible. The main, um, I'm going to talk about the main two, actually, the first two, but she's mentioned around a meal and hospitality that she um, puts on for Jesus' disciples and his followers. Um, she's mentioned again and as an integral part of around her brother's death and subsequent resurrection. And she's mentioned again briefly um, just before Jesus dies where her sister Mary um, pours expensive oil on or perfume on Jesus's feet and then dries it with her hair. So I'm going to look at those first two stories very briefly and what I get out of her in the character of Martha. Um, so in Luke 10, 38, we find this story. It says Jesus is coming into Bethany, as I said, with his disciples and probably many other, um, I was going to say hangers on, but that doesn't sound very good, but you know what I mean. Um, following on, and it says, we're told a woman named Martha welcomes him into her home. And then for some of you who know that story well, for some of you don't, basically, um, she feels she's busy doing all the food preparation and the hospitality and looking after everybody. And you, you're starting to see, if you know me, the likeness is why I sort of identify with Martha. Um, and, um, and her sister Mary, no mention of brother Lazarus, by the way, what he's doing. Um, but the, um, her sister is sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to what he's saying. We don't really know how um, they all know each other. There really isn't a lot of detail in the Gospels around that. But you would really do get a sense that 
They know Jesus really well, really, really well. They're not family. It never states that they are. Um, They might have been distant family, I suppose, or cousins. We don't know how they knew them, but there seems to be this familiarity, that family, those similar words around them, that relationship. And um, what I've realized is the Gospels are written by four men. And so for a lady, there just is not enough detail. Anybody, you know, kind of uh, do with that? We do need a bit more detail for us ladies. But anyway, we can imagine. Um, So Martha um, dares to draw Jesus into what I would call, as a counselor, a psychotherapist, a drama triangle. Okay, has anybody heard of the drama triangle? So... (laughs) Emmerich. (laughs) Lovely. Thank you. So a guy um, called um, Stephen Cartman in the 1960s brought this out. But here we are in 30 AD and many times in the Old Testament, uh, well before Jesus was born, where drama triangles were at work. So he reckons to have a drama triangle in our relationships, we need to have a bad guy. So in this case, Martha is making Mary the bad guy. Okay, she's not doing what she should be. Um, Martha obviously takes the place of the victim in this and she goes up to Jesus to try and rescue the situation and she says Lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone tell her to help me a lot of people think that's a bit cheeky Um, but Jesus actually refuses to get drawn into this yeah and he just replies Martha Martha you're worried and troubled about many things but one thing is needed And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So at that point, I'm left to my own imaginations, and you are too. And we if we don't know the information, the facts, we fill it in with our own experience of what that all might mean for us in that situation. So Martha seems to be maybe the eldest, but she certainly seems to take on responsibility for that household and certainly what's going on within it. She's very practical. Her name, Martha, means strong um, or mistress or leader or owner of land. So we don't know. I just wonder if she was actually born with that name, and it was quite a prophetic name that her parents gave her, or, in fact, if it changed, because some people we know in the Bible did change their names depending on the roles they were taking up. And so Martha, in this story, is kind of um, portrayed as a doer, and Mary as a beer, a being, or being. And I guess um, be interesting to know which one do you identify as I'm saying that. I've already hinted that I identify quite strongly with Martha in this story. So hands up if you identify from Martha type of person. Okay, and how many for a Mary type of person? Okay, interesting. And a lot of you don't want to commit. I can see that, even in the semi-darkness. That's okay. Um, So um, I was talking to um, Aaron the other day, and I was saying to him that um, sometimes Simon and I uh, take off a midweek day off, and we practice being retired. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he just laughed. And I'm, you know, that's just rude, but he laughed because he knows I'm a doer and that I will just never, whatever happens, stop doing stuff. So I'm a Martha. And the inference in this story particularly is that, you know, doing less is more important. And I think um, what Evan said about, you know, I would say, and Rachel picked up what he said, that beware of compare and despairing, comparing with others. We have our own walk, you know, line to walk. Um, 
So I would argue that we need balance and that actually all spiritual things need doers. Alpha wouldn't run unless we had doers. Connect groups wouldn't run unless people were willing to do them. There's many, many, many things that are going on. You're going to have a cup of tea or coffee later. If someone isn't there doing that, we won't get that time together. So, um, so often Jesus is, sorry, often seen that Jesus is telling Martha off, but I, I'm not so sure. I think that his words... We only know his words. We don't know um, the other parts of communication. Our words are only one part. How we speak, our tone, and our language, and whether we come up to someone, whether we touch them, whether we look into their eyes is all an indication. And I think he just saw someone he loved in a bit of a tiz and just tried to reprioritize her. So the second story is around the death of Lazarus. John 11 tells us about that. Lazarus has fallen ill, their brother, and the two sisters, Mary and Martha, send for Jesus. He deliberately waits um, a couple of days because he knows what he's going to do when he gets there. He knows the importance of this time. Um, there was also danger in returning to Bethany because it was quite near his death at this time. And when Martha hears he's coming, she's proactive again. So she, she goes out to meet Jesus on the edge of Bethany. And they have this amazing moving encounter together lord if you'd been here my brother would not have died and you can read that again in two or many more ways is it an admonishment is she being a bit familiar again with 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 god on earth um or is it a faith statement is it lord if you'd been here my brother would not have died and she says, but even now, whatever you ask God, I know he will give you another faith statement. Jesus replies, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know he will rise again at the last day. But Jesus doesn't mean that in this instance. He says, no, I am. And he gives her this amazing, most important message to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live and he asks, he challenges her. I often feel challenged by God. Do you believe this? And she says, she has this just full revelation of who God is. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God who has come into the world. And so they just have this amazing one-to-one -one interaction and other things go on through that. So my conclusion is... That being a Martha is not so bad. It's certainly not to be despised. Um, this is my saying, not biblical. Don't diss the doer. We need them. Yeah? Um, hospitality, whether it's in our homes, offering to meet up with someone, Alpha Connect groups, and many other ways, I think is central and essential to the spread of the gospel. And the greatest invitation is found in Revelation 3.20 where Jesus says to us, look, I'm going to stand and knock. And if you hear my voice and you open the door, I'll come in and we can share a meal together as friends. So he's talking about that in a way of salvation. So Jesus, it says many times, Jesus loved Martha. So she's got to be good. He trusted her faith with his amazing gospel message, the I am message. And he let her witness one of the greatest miracles 
with our own eyes. So I don't think we need to be a Martha or a Mary, even though I asked you earlier which one you kind of went with. I think we can be both, and we should be both. We have to have a practical but also a spiritual side to us. And we need to work for that balance always, to help each other to keep that balance. It's because our responsibilities mustn't weigh heavier than our joy. Martha learned this, and that's why Martha is my Bible hero. Thank you, Claire. I love that we can look at the Bible and learn so much about ourselves by looking at the Bible characters. I don't know which Bible character you identify with, but if you haven't ever thought about that, it might be worth having a look and reading through. There's sometimes like when people do me, I, I, I look through and think, oh, I would have done that as well. <laughs> you know, when they get slapped and told off for saying something stupid um, like Peter, and then Jesus gives him a real rebuke, and I think, do you know what? I probably would have said something like that as well. And it's okay to identify with people in the Bible because that's what it's so good for, that we can see that actually even though we do make mistakes sometimes or we don't do things quite the way we think we should do it, that Jesus just loves us just so unconditionally. And that's fantastic. Thank you, Claire, for sharing that. Right. And lastly, Matthias. Would you like to join me, Matthias? Uh, Matthias hasn't been here with us very long. He's our Pays um, apprentice. And actually, um, he's got the, the double challenge of not just the nerves of preaching, but preaching in a second language, because obviously this is not his first language. But um, you're going to be great, and we're going to be praying for you and, and, and um, pushing you on and expecting great things. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning, church. So, yeah, I was thinking, like, of what I could share. So, I mean, I'm just here for a month, so I think the best thing to share is my testimony, just to explain, like, how I ended up here, what God did in my life and through my life. So, that's what we are going to do. I mean, I would read the Bible, of course. So, if you guys can open your Bibles in first Samuel 8. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to read, like, the first seven verses. I always wanted to say that. Can you open your Bibles? Yeah. So, okay. When Samuel was old, he made his sons judge for Israel. His first son was named Joel, and his second son was named Abijah. Joel and Abijah were judges in Beersheba. But Samuel's son did not live as he did. They tried to get money dishonestly, and they accepted money secretly to make wrong judgments. So all the elders came together and met Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old, and your sons don't live as you do. Give us a king to rule over us like all the other nations. When the others say that Samuel was not pleased, he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told Samuel, listen to whatever the people say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me from being their king. Uh, they are doing it as they always have done it. When I took them from out, of, then out of Egypt, they left me and served other gods. They are doing the same to you. So, yeah. I mean, you guys will understand why I read this verse. But basically, I don't know like about you guys, but I'm like a church kid. So I basically grew up in church my whole life. I would be like me, my siblings, and my parents morning to evening church. So, I mean, I was used to church life. I've always been in church. But, yeah, 
I mean, I would knew Jesus from what my family would say or like from what church would say, but I believe that I did not like knew who he was like actually in like having a relationship with him. So yeah, at some point, um, my parents just decided to leave the church that we were in and things just went a bit different than they were. We weren't going to church. We were trying to find a church. And I mean, I, I didn't see like no point of going to church anymore, you know, because for me it was more about the environment, about the people. I was not having this anymore. And I was like, okay, I don't think I need this anymore. So I was there like 14 years old. Like I thought that I could just decide things like on my own. And I was like, mom, dad, I'm not going to church anymore. I mean, I believe that they were sad, you know, but it was not much that they could do. I think they want me to go to church like in my own decision. So, I mean, they weren't happy, but I just thought I was old enough to make my own decisions. So I was like, okay, now I'm ruling over my life, you know, like God, you don't have to be like the king anymore. Just let me take my own path. So things just got like in a bit of like a different path in my life. I was just fortunate, but I was going to a new high school. I was meeting new people. I didn't know anyone else. So I just could be like whoever I wanted to be. So I just could say if I was a Christian, I could say that I did not believe in God. I could say that I believe in someone else. I could say that I just believe in myself. I could say whatever I wanted to say. So, yeah, like I just went to this new school and started living a different life that I was living before. And, I mean, I think the thing about having control is that we actually, even when we think that we have control, we, ne we never have control over our lives, you know. If God is not in control over our lives, something else would take this control, you know. And if it's not God, it won't be something good. So, yeah, I mean, I thought that I was having this control over my life. And, yeah, so... Things changed. I think I was 17 already. I was like in my last day of, my last day, no, my last year of high school. And I was just going to a normal day in my life. I was going to a party with my friend. And that day was a bit different because I didn't actually want to go to that party, which was weird <laughs> because I always wanted to go. And I wasn't feeling well about, about going, and my mom told me not to go to, and when your mom tells something like that, you, you know that something's wrong, you know. But even my friend messaged me, he was like, okay, we shouldn't be going to this party. And I was like, yeah, maybe not, but in the end, we just went anyways. You guys can be shocked, but I'm happy that I went to the party, to be honest, because that day God had a different plan in my life. Um, I went to that party, I just started doing like everything that I was used to, so I was drinking, using drugs with my friends. I wasn't feeling well, like my body wasn't feeling well, of course, because I was drunk, but also I wasn't feeling like spiritually well, you know, so I just felt like, okay, I need to be like away from everyone. So I just left the party, I went to the street, and I sat there on the floor by myself, and I started throwing up, and <laughs> I mean, that's... And I started throwing up. Um, and yeah, like, I was just sat there. And I, it wasn't, I wasn't feeling that I, I was drunk, you know, my mind. And I was talking with myself. And I was like, what am I doing here, you know? Like, I wasn't supposed to be here today. And, like, suddenly just another voice joined the conversation, you know. And just told me, like, you were you not made for this. You are not made to be here. You are not made to be like the, the world, you know. Just like the people of Israel. And I mean, 
all of a sudden it was just like someone just threw like cold water at my face, you know. I wasn't feeling drunk anymore and I was sober. And I was just there like on the street like, what can I do now? And my, one of my friends came to me, like he just brought like a cup of water. I was like, bro, are you okay? Like, do you need something? Do you need water? What do you need? And I was like, bro, I need to go to church. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and like, probably he was, he was like, and I start crying a lot, crying a lot. And probably he was like, Bro, like, he's just drunk. Just, he's like, yeah, it's okay. You can go to church tomorrow. It's fine. But, like, what do you need now? But, like, I wasn't feeling sober. Like, I wasn't feeling drunk anymore. I was sober. And that, like, was the point when I knew that I should just, you know, surrender and just leave everything behind. And, I like, it was the last time that I went to a party. I mean, it was hard, the path. I mean, I, I didn't stop doing everything all of a sudden, you know. But I think... That's, that's the Christian life, you know, to be honest. It's just surrendering. I mean, sometimes we think that God is the king over our lives, but we just let him be the king to a certain point, you know, to certain areas of our lives. So, yeah, I mean, that's how I ended up here, just surrendering. I never, like, I would never imagine that I would be here, like, five years ago or four years ago doing this. So, yeah, I mean, it's surrender. That's it.